This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook undoubtedly has some of the top designers in the world all working under one roof. But what does it take to actually be a designer there? I asked product designer Steven Song to find out. Yeah, I feel like a big part about becoming a designer at Facebook is learning how to, you know, take a lot of, you know, chaos, you know, abstract data and very like hard to grasp concepts and making them really nice, succinct and easy to understand and build. Um, I think a lot of the people, like, a lot of the best designers at Facebook are the ones who know how to you know, speak the languages of everybody and know how to kind of create designs in ways that can translate all that complexity. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get to this week's interview, I just wanted to let you know that we are now part of the new media network at Glitch. So starting in 2019, new episodes will be published there. Make sure that you check out our website at revisionpath.com for the full announcement. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Google Design and MailChimp. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Now, MailChimp may have started out doing just email, but now you can use it for Facebook ads, you can use it for Instagram ads. There's really powerful automations, especially like here around the holiday time. It's great that you have one tool that's like a marketing powerhouse that can handle all of that stuff in just one place. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp, send better email. Now for this week's interview. It's Christmas Eve, and we're off to Zurich, Switzerland, talking to creative designer Courtney Pinter. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, I am Courtney Pinter, and I am a senior designer working in Switzerland. Switzerland? You're in Zurich, that's right. Is that right? Yes, yes, correct. So I definitely want to ask a lot about just Zurich and Switzerland and the <laughs> and the design scene there. But walk me through like a typical day of, of the kind of work that you do. Well, I work for um, a company, it's called Givaudon. And what they do is they are a flavor, they're in the flavors business. So basically the touch points are like your, the fragrance in your shampoo or the type of beer you might drink that might have a flavor to it. Any, anything that, you taste, smell, or just use on a daily basis has some type of flavor or some type of type of sense to it. And I work in the marketing department, creating B2B business to business marketing promotions for new flavors or new concepts that come out. That's kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's, it's so cool. It's, it's actually really cool. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> sort of like sensory design yes. experience. That's so yes. cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's really cool. So I'm not in the, 
I'd say the glamour side, which is the fragrance side. So you, I'm not working with Dior and Chanel and stuff, but I'm actually in the, on the flavor side, specifically working with, on like savory. So I had to do a promotion for KFC or you have to do things for like different uh, soup bases or stuff like that. And, and sometimes I get invited to the tastings with the chefs and the scientists and, and stuff like that so that I can have a feel of how they envision their project so that I can help with my designs. So, yeah. So what is, I'm curious, like what does that process look like? Like say for, for KFC, for example, of course people that are listening to the show know KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. How are you designing around that concept if it's something like that so let's say they want to like improve a chicken recipe or or just streamline uh, maybe a manufacturing process of their spices so let's say this spice is too expensive and they want to change the the formula of it to still have the same taste but to maybe make it a little bit cheaper or healthier or something so we have um you know, professional chefs that work in our test kitchen that develop a good spice uh, combination. And then, you know, the science behind it, because it is a, a, you know, mass production kind of thing. And so they have to think in terms of, okay, so we can create this in the kitchen. How do we then create that and produce it on a level to where it's, you know, to, you know, one country to one base in, in Europe, and then it's the same in other countries throughout. So that's kind of where that process comes in and building a flavor that's commercially ready to be produced in, in any KFC branch, you know? Mm-hmm. So building a flavor that's so, I, don't <laughs> know, I find that to be so interesting because it's something that I don't know if designers really see that as design. I think people kind of see that as just like cooking, you know? Well, I, I mean, I think it's kind of how you would define artistry, right? So, you know, you can paint, you can build things. I mean, my husband is an architect. He's also a carpenter. So he, he builds furniture. He designs homes. Also, when you're, you know, a chef, you're, you're creating things for a palette so that people can remember or recognize, you know, that flavor years, years from now. It's all about the medium that maybe you choose to work with that, that can be considered art as well. So food or, or fragrance. I mean, that's a whole nother thing that, but I'll just stick to what I do, which Mm -hmm. is basically the flavor part. But I mean, it's, it's a beautiful process as well as the science side of it. I mean, it's really cool. And sometimes I think, man, if I had known about this like career, maybe I would have kind of turned my artistry into, into this, you know, if, if I knew about it, but I mean, just kind of working, you know, like on the side and trying to support what they do is also really cool, too. Yeah. Well, how did you find out about this particular opportunity? I was trying to find a job, any job in Zurich to kind of sustain myself financially, which was very difficult uh, being outside of the European Union. So I went on several interviews with other companies and this one. I had a really good feeling about and I applied, but at the time they hired someone else and I was quite disappointed, but, you know, they said, we really like you and, you know, we want to stay in contact. Things might change. And within six months, they called me back for, for another interview. And then I got the position. So nice. Yeah. (laughs) Did you find that you had to kind of pick up a different set of skills just based on 
I guess, the industry that this particular company is in. I mean, like you said, you didn't really learn about kind of flavor design, I guess. So was this stuff that you just picked up on the job? In a way, yes. My previous position, I work for a beverage company called Tampico. And I was in their, you know, in-house design team. And so I had like kind of an understanding, but I mean, coming from beverages to, to this complex company where they, they have a lot of different touch points where it's not just drink, it's ice creams or, or chicken or snacks or potato chips and stuff like that. So it just was a bit more complex, but I, I understood where I was able to fit in, in this market. So it wasn't like a hard transition. I would say it was kind of like, Oh wow, there's more than just beverage, you know? Okay. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That seems to be just so interesting because I, I guess when I'm thinking about designers in this kind of aspect, it's more about like packaging and less about yes. kind of what you're doing, which is more on a, it's on a different side, I guess. Packaging is also included, I would say. I mean, from working for Tampico, I, I basically really became a professional designer. I mean, before that, I was doing layout and wasn't really being held accountable. And for what I was doing, I mean, I, I got it done, but there wasn't any structure. And then when I came to Tampico, it was very, I had a strict art director. I had a senior designer who was like, your files need to be perfect. You need to talk with the printers. There was a different system versus, you know, flexographic and offset printing that I had to learn. So with that experience, I learned a lot. So I could take that to this job and really expand on what they were doing at that point, because it was very, I wouldn't say rudimentary, but it was very basic. Mm-hmm. And when I came in, I, I saw, you know, that there was areas that we could improve upon and we can change, like introducing a bit more social media, some videos, like actually doing more kind of uh, not pimping up, but just making the labels that we put on the actual samples a bit more engaging than just yeah. slapping our logo on it and sending it out. So I think that kind of not well yeah elevator will just kind of push it in a, in another direction that made it more interesting for me and now it's just kind of like one marketing manager saw this promotion and now they want to have it for this promotion and it just kind of like evolved into this is how it should be it should have been this way all along so that's also kind of cool i got you okay yeah i definitely think mm-hmm. folks know about Tampico, especially in the hood. I hate to kind of put, yeah. kind of put it in that way, but <laughs> I definitely grew up drinking Tampico, so I, I'm familiar with the brand. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hilarious. No, no, I, I didn't know about Tampico, and then I like I worked there. I was like, oh my god, it's like everywhere. It's like it's like almost like bottom shelf liquor. Like you don't know about it until you look at the bottom and you see, like, oh, that's where it was all along. <laughs> like, right, and that's where the orange juice, quote unquote, was. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know. I'm thinking like there's like orange drink, like Sunny D or whatever. Right, but right. Then you're right. going like, oh, Sunny D is expensive. Just get just get Tampico or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but to be honest, Tampico tastes much better than Sunny D. It does. <laughs> so, it does. There's like a little. Yeah. I think I remember reading the label as a kid, and I, th- I saw something in there about it having, I think, tangerine juice or something in there. And I was like, oh, this is fancy. This that is, is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> So you're originally from Chicago. Tell me what it was like uh, growing up there. Yeah, so I'm actually not from the the kind of 
Chicago, like heart of Chicago. I'm from outside of Chicago in the suburbs. Okay. So I grew up in the suburbs. Um, my dad is actually from Alabama. He's a Morehouse graduate as well. Oh, um, nice. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and my mom is from uh, Connecticut. So with my dad's job, we were kind of transplanted in Chicago. So I was like the only one who kind of grew up there. But yeah, no, I had a great life. I went to private school. I had no desire. I had no even, it didn't even come into my mind to, to study design. I mean, I always gravitated to more creative things, but it just, I just said, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to school minor in Spanish, major in international business. And, you know, I don't know, see what happens. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have any kind of like, oh, wow, this is what I should do. It was just kind of, yeah, I just kind of found it by accident. And, uh, yeah. When did you have that sort of like aha moment where you knew this is what you wanted to do? Oh, I mean, when I went to school, I was in a classroom with a friend of mine and she was she had like two curriculums uh, in front of her on a piece of paper. One was for, for an illustrator and one was for a graphic design. And I looked at both of them and I was like, well, I can't draw, but this graphic design thing, these classes look like fun. <laughs> and I, and I talked to my sister about it because she's in PR and marketing and she was um, getting her master's in strategy from Mizzou. And, and I said, you know, what do you think about this? And she's like, I can only see you doing that. Like, I think you definitely need to do this. And I was like, well, okay. So I changed my major like that day and just kind of immersed myself in design. And I've never looked back since. Nice. So you went to Northern Illinois University. What was your time like there? Sounds like that's kind of where you came into yourself as a designer. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was interesting. I mean, at the time I went, the program was extremely competitive. They only took the top 40% after you uh, passed your sophomore portfolio review. So mm -hmm. it was it was pretty tough. And I mean, I had no art background. It was like so embarrassing to go to life drawing classes and I'm, everybody looks like Picasso or, you know, Michelangelo. And I had like stick people paintings, like for, it was just terrible. Like I had no really skills or background, but I mean, I, I just really wanted it. And when I got into my design classes, I had great teachers and yeah, I was able to continue on with the program. And I just got, um, I didn't get my BFA because it I, I, it was going to take too long. So I just got a general BA, but I had more or less a concentration in, in visual communications. Okay. And uh, yeah. And after that, I mean, you continue though, you continue your education in design. Yeah. I mean, I never could commit to a degree, but I just would always learning. I always wanted to expand my knowledge somehow. If it was just like a a class that was interesting to me, taking some classes at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, like uh, art history. And um, I took an innovation workshop, which was the just, just groundbreaking for me. It was extremely eye-opening. And I really try to pursue that while I'm doing my design work in my role now with that, with that class that I took. It was really cool. Talk more about that. It says an innovation workshop. <laughs> Yeah, it's an innovation workshop, actually. I mean, it's like, how do you innovate? How do you begin? How do you kind of come up with these great ideas? And it's through being sort of a detective, sort of investigator of, of like, okay, this is the problem. 
how do you go from the problem to the solution? And basically when you figure that out, that's where the innovation happens is, you know, you don't just ask people, okay, well, why doesn't this thing function? You have to ask them those questions, get those answers, but then also use the product yourself and kind of see other people, observe other people using it. And then you can develop a solution for that. And that's kind of how the class was. It was just going from, this is the thing. Let's try to find little, I don't know, clues or hints of like, maybe this could work or not. And then you you finally come with an end product. And yeah, that's kind of like the cool thing about the class. And they have this program in the Institutes of uh, Design in Chicago. It's a master's of innovation, I believe. And the teacher that I had there, he, I think he taught there. And then he also has his own like firm within, um, in Chicago, it's called the greater good studio. It's really cool. They do these projects like with, uh, trying to figure out why kids don't get breakfast or, you know, should kids be given breakfast at school or on the way to school or something like that. They like they do these social change projects as well. So it's not just innovating on projects. It's like innovating on services or maybe there's, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm babbling, but it's just, uh, there's certain things that you can innovate and it's not just products. It's, it's, uh, with the way people do things or something like that. So, yeah, no, I've heard of the greater good. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. good. Yeah, yeah. Sarah Cantor. Yeah, works there. yeah. Yeah, 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 George. They were my teachers for the innovation class. And yeah, they're the coolest. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, that sort of work, I think now it's probably called what, like service design or, or something oh, yeah. to that effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how a lot of these kinds of things that you're talking about now have sort of been rebranded or or they're called <laughs> different things in a way, like the, like the innovation part. I'm thinking uh-huh. in my mind, I'm like, well, they kind of call that design thinking now in a way. Right. You know, and then even what you're talking about with greater good, that's like service design, like design for social good, for making change, that kind of stuff. It, yeah, exactly. So what prompted this move to Switzerland from Chicago? That seems like a big jump. It's a big jump. Yeah. I mean, I've always just had it in my mind that I wanted to move to Europe at some point. I didn't know if I was going to live, but hey, I just wanted to move. And I had um a friend of mine I used to work with he 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 lives out here with his wife and I was visiting them one day or well on my vacation and a friend of his came to visit him and I met him and we hit it off pretty well and within a year I moved <laughs> so oh, wow. I, I moved here for my husband or my then boyfriend now husband to live here with him yeah so you've been there now for what, like almost six years, I think. Yeah, almost seven. Oh, almost seven! Wow, wow. Yeah. Have you been in Zurich the whole time? Yes, I've lived in Zurich the whole time. Okay. What is the design scene like there? It's pretty interesting. I mean, as a design student and like kind of sort of obsessed with Swiss design, you have it in your head that when you come over here, everything's going to be like award winning design. Everything's going to look good. (laughs) It's going to be perfect. We don't know what we're talking about. Like U.S. design is so primitive compared to theirs. And I got here and I'm just like, wow, this is terrible. I mean, like there's there's certain things that they do. I don't know. It's if it's a cultural thing, the way that they do it, 
but there's stuff that's so amazing and really, really good. And then there's like terrible design. So I think that that you could just say every country would have like the good and the bad and, and Switzerland is no different. Zurich is no different. But what I found that was extremely cool and interesting is that, I mean, the the train system here, the SBB, any signs or, yeah, all their signs and all their communications was originally designed by Joseph Willem Brockman, who was kind of the, the godfather of Swiss design. So, mm. like, he was the one who was like, okay, you have to set up it this way. You have to organize all the timetables this way. And so he did that. He created a typeface for it and everything. And so that's what's really cool because it's extremely consistent. It's very clear. I mean, you don't have to speak any of the language. You just have to kind of be able to read, I mean, just see the information. And I think that's kind of the best design that I've seen so far. Mm -hmm. That's really consistent and good. It's interesting because I know here in the U.S., at least from designers I've talked to, from educators I've talked to, really, honestly, just from being someone who looks at design media, I feel like European design styles, particularly the Swiss design style, is so heavily, I wouldn't even say it's heavily revered, but it's also mm-hmm. such a fundamental part of a lot of design that we see now through America on the web. So like strong okay. typography, objective photography, order grids you know all that stuff mm-hmm. it's sort of revered as this kind of swiss design style it's often called the international style of design mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. clean it's it's readable it's organized that's so interesting that you got there you were like oh this is it's okay <laughs> yeah i mean because it's like i mean when you see a movie and there's so much advertised put into it there's so many people talking about it it's like yeah. winning awards and it's like having there's so much money into it and like oh it's just like going on the box office and everything and then when you see it you're like it's okay i don't know what the fuss was about so i mean i had such high expectations and i'm not gonna say okay all of switzerland is bad zurich is bad no they have some good design but i was just surprised at some of it that was not so great (laughs) and i was just Mm -hmm. like really okay, you could have did better. But no, I mean, overall, there's there's really a wonderful things that they that they do here. Like I said, I mean, the train system, it's so simple, but you really have to think of like, how much effort was put in to make sure that things are consistent. And then you see that and then you go to New York and you see how consistent the signage is there. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, all over. So there was a standard that was set. But yeah, I mean, there's there's good and bad in every country. You know, yeah. I mean, I think, what Switzerland was able to do is like have a base and, you know, like say, this is even the the basics of design and how you can like, you know, set up your design and then you can change it and then like break the rules however way you want to. So, yeah. I mean, I I just know how overused Helvetica tends to be. I mean, (laughs) I guess you could say American design, but we'd say design in general. And I mean, that's, it's a Swiss typeface, you know, Mm -hmm. There's Um, several out there, yeah. I remember uh, I was in London around this time last year, and I remember being at the, I was at the Gatwick Airport, and I remember taking pictures of all the airport signage, Mm because I was like, this is so easy to understand. Like, you would get to wherever the, like, the concourse is where you have to go to your gate, and you look at the sign, and the sign has it, you know, kind of planned out, you know, gates 
10 through 17, 18 through whatever, whatever. But then like next mm-hmm. to it, it also has like the walking time. Like this will take you nine yeah. minutes to get here, eight minutes to get there. And I'm like, that's great because I don't know if you've ever been through Atlanta's airport. It's the 10th circle of hell okay. on a good day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've also flown through O'Hare, so I mean, I'm I take yeah. that with a grain of salt. But, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I mean, mm-hmm. like you get you get to the Atlanta airport, then you have to get through the the dregs of security, and then you have to get on the train, and then the train takes you to concourse, and your concourse goes out. Like I don't, it always amazes me when I go to other cities, and I'm like, wow, everyone else's airport is so small compared. Yeah. To, <laughs> like I really like when they say get to the airport an hour in advance, you really you really do in Atlanta because <laughs> it'll take you about that long to get from departures to your gate on a good day so Mm -hmm. um. (laughs) but i think atlanta's airport is the biggest in or the busiest in the country right or the biggest i don't know if it's the biggest but i think it's definitely the busiest yeah because there's a lot of connections and people flying in Atlanta to go somewhere else and things so yeah and delta's a hub here so we have all yeah Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff like that there so with the design scene being like it is, as you kind of described, have you found that your your personal design style has shifted towards what you see in Switzerland, or is it is it kind of stayed consistent? I mean, I I've always been a big fan of Swiss design, so maybe it's just kind of not that I assimilated, but it's it's just I mean, it it was going in that direction, and like I think it's kind of there now, but I've always been very like you know, my layouts and, and, and how the spacing is and how it's set up and, and it's very clean. So that's kind of, I've always been that type of designer when I, when I had a lot of text on the page, I always like to make it very, you know, ordinarily. So mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. What's been kind of the biggest challenge for you since moving there? Integration and language. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, my husband, he is German, so he's not Swiss. And within our relation, there's a cultural gap. He never did the living a year abroad. So he's extremely European. And so Mm -hmm. things that I do are very weird to him (laughs) and vice versa. But at least, I mean, I've studied his culture. I've studied, I am currently still studying German as well. But um, yeah, so there's a culture clash between us. Switzerland, I mean, Zurich, especially like Swiss Germans, they're very, they have a hard shell and they're not very open just by nature because, I mean, they're the small country butted up against France, Germany and and Italy. And so it's like they really want to protect themselves. So they're they're very wary of, of outsiders. It doesn't matter if you're if you're American or European, it's like you're not Swiss. What are you doing here? And like, I don't want to mm. be your friend because you're just going to leave anyway. But anyway. They're just very protective of themselves and, but it takes a while before they open up and, you know, before, you know, it, they get to know you and they're, you're like really good friends. Yeah. So that was a kind of a shock of like, you know, you go out anywhere and people don't really no small talk. It's like, you're there to drink your drink by yourself and I don't want to talk to you. So huh. yeah, it, I mean, it can <laughs> it be sounds a little like a perfect harsh. country for introverts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a little harsh, especially if you're, I don't know, you know, like if you're not a student or you didn't know anybody when you got here, because a lot of people when they're expats and they come here and they're by themselves, it's a hard start. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a partner, if you have a family, it's a little bit easier. And now I have two kids 
it's a lot easier because of the integration, because you have to kind of be more social and interact with the parents and get involved in the, in the, in the neighborhood and stuff like that. So it's a lot easier when you have like small kids or just, just kids in general to get accustomed to things and to get integrated, so to speak. What is the tech scene like there? Does it kind of run in parallel to the design scene in a way? The tech scene? Hmm. What can I say? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I'll just say this. I know more architects than I do designers here just okay. because I think it's just there's so many opportunities for architects in Europe in general, especially Switzerland. They're always building something. I mean, design, it's really hard to find those types of jobs here. You have to be lucky. You have to know someone. You have to be so- somewhat connected because even if I wanted to look for another job, it would be really difficult because it's like they're all taken. I mean, unemployment is like point zero something. Like it's really, wow. like it's really, really low. Yeah. So I mean, there's a Google office here. I had a guy in my German class, South African. He worked in the Google office. I don't know expect what he did, but. That's all I know. I know that Switzerland tends to kind of have this uh, this connotation for being just like a neutral country, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not one way or another. It's it's Swiss. It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that kind of, in a way, also influenced how like designers or even, you know, technologists are there as well, where maybe the work that they do tends to be very insular. Okay. And it's not about. And I mean, I'm I'm completely guessing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. But like here in the U.S., everything seems to be so overly ambitious, <laughs> I guess is a good <laughs> okay. way to put it. Like uh-huh. people want to make stuff here that will change the world. And I don't know if that's really the same way in other places. I would, I'm wondering if because of how you've described what the scene is like there, people are more like, you know, I'm just kind of interested in changing my neighborhood. Yeah, I think they're just more like, I think it's just a a difference of culture. And like, I think they're a bit more reserved in in maybe how they approach things. And in the US, it's kind of like, you you're you're an individual and you you do your own thing and you be a superstar and you know, just you have to be better than everybody else and you have to stand out. And it's like for them, they're they're a bit more conservative in a way. It's like I can stand out, but then I can also do it in this way. Maybe not so much like in your face and like you know all attention on me. That's kind of culturally not. I mean, from from my observations, that's that's culturally not what they're about. But I think it's just like I mean, they're two extremes, I guess. So the U.S., they're like very like, you know, Instagram star and, you know, YouTube channel. And here it's like, you know, yeah, maybe I might do it or (laughs) uh, I'll have a small, you know, group of friends where I do it with. But it's not so like I want to get famous. I mean, that's just what from what I've noticed living Mm -hmm. here. No, I mean, I think that's it's it's interesting to show how that difference in culture kind of even affects the work that we do or, or things like that. I'm mm-hmm. glad that you mentioned that it's sort of a big booming. It sounds like it's a booming market for architects. We tried to have some architects here on the show. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll have some more in the future, but it's yeah. good to know that it's sort of like a big scene over there for architects. Yes. <laughs> so aside from, I mean, your family and your kids, <laughs> what mm-hmm. is it that, and your job, I should say, what is it that you really love about being there? 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's a lot of things. I mean, Chicago, Chicago is a great city, but I never wanted to kind of end up there. Like I liked it for what it is, but then I wanted to kind of explore and, and, and do other things. And I mean, being in Zurich, I mean, I, I moved here when I was 30 and I mean, I'm, I'm learning a, a new language. I have my family here. I'm able to see other countries in close proximity. I'm getting to, to live abroad and experience another culture. And it's really, really fascinating. So yeah. I, I think for me, it's, it's every day is kind of different. And, and that's just my life now. Like, I mean, in Chicago is like, you can predict like, this is, this is what's going to happen Friday night is going to do this. But mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's because that was me growing up as an American and now I'm in this other country trying to find my way. So it's, it's like an exciting adventure. So, I mean, that's kind of in in the moment, how I feel now it's like, now I have my kids and now I have to kind of go through life with them and see how they're going to be raised as dual citizen, you know, two languages kind of little people now. So that's, yeah. that's also going to be interesting for me. Have you been back to the U S since moving there? Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I miss it. I definitely miss the States. I mean, there's a lot of things like I, we were just back in October, end of October for, for three long weeks with two kids and staying with my parents, oh, wow. but we survived it. It was great. But yeah, I just missed the conveniences and like having a store that's open 24 hours or going to a Walgreens and they have like everything you need and, mm-hmm. you know, versus here where everything, everything you need is closed on a Sunday or, you oh, know, wow. yeah. Or, you know, it doesn't, you can't, it, you, your doctor's appointment, the latest you can get is like three o'clock and it's like, but I work. Like, how can I, <laughs> how can I do this? I need to see a doctor. Well, yeah. I'm going to do it before three. And so it's just, it's just things like that, that I miss. And, you know, culturally as well, there's, there's not a lot of Americans here and specifically not a lot of African Americans. So missing that kind of cultural experience, you know, with someone who understands where you you're coming from and your background and things. So that could be a little bit lonely, but there's, there's other wonderful people here. I've met, you know, Brazilians, black Brazilians, black Colombians, you know, mixed, uh, like half African, half Swiss people. So it's like, you know, you build those bonds because they kind of, they, they understand your, your history and where you come from and you can kind of relate on to a certain level. Yeah. So that helps, but yeah. So is there like a, like a strong expat community there? It sounds like. I mean, you tend when you're an expat, you tend to meet more expats because we're a bit more open. It's it's easier to make friends that way. I mean, we do have some Swiss friends. I have some Swiss friends, but then they also have spent time outside of their country, so they're not so. I don't want to paint the Swiss as closed-minded, but it's like you know, if I would equate Switzerland as as a village, like a small town in America, you know, so they they have that mentality. But it doesn't mean that they're not nice or, you know, they're, they're hard, they're hard people. But it's like, if you came into some small town in the Midwest, like people would be like, okay, who's this guy? Where is he from? You know, they'd yeah. be a little bit like, oh, I don't know until they got to know you. So I, I, I completely understand that. I mean, it's, it's like a country of 7 million. That's like half, half the population of Illinois, you know? So, yeah. and that's a country. So, Yeah. <laughs> I know that, you know, Switzerland tends to be ranked very highly when people think about quality of life there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I saw something I think it was earlier this year, and they were ranking like the top ten cities for quality of life in the whole world, and like three of mm-hmm. them were in Switzerland: mm-hmm. Zurich, mm-hmm. Zurich, Geneva, mm-hmm. and Basel. I think probably those okay, Basel. Do you feel like it's a good quality of life there compared to what you had in the States? I mean, you have your family there, of course, so that's different. But in general, do you feel that? Uh, yeah, I think it's taken me a, a long time to like appreciate this country and, and really value it. I mean, in the beginning, it was just like, you know, I'm from I'm from Chicago. Like, you know, things happen. It's exciting. There's more like things are open. It's, it's available. Things are available and people are more open and there's diversity. I mean, when I got here, it was just kind of like, like, I mean, you're my first experience of going into a post office and no one speaks English. And I have to tell this lady that I need to mail this package. And she's just like, has an attitude with me because I don't speak German. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my, the beginning when I got here, it was really hard. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. You know, I'm trying to learn a language that, that it is, it's so difficult. And, you know, it, it just was a hard beginning. So I was just kind of like, okay, we'll be here for three years or whatever. And then we're going to move to Germany and then it'll be so much better. But then once I got pregnant and I had, and, and going through my pregnancy with my first child and, and really having to be forced to be integrated, I just slowly started to appreciate things like the school system is going to be great. Um, They're going to have this quality of life, meaning you have this wonderful landscape. You can, you can hike, you can swim, you can fly, you know, an hour to Paris, an hour to to Milan. I mean, like things that you wouldn't get anywhere else that you get here even though it's expensive and, you know, you, you do earn a very good wage. I mean, the, the people in the supermarket earn just as good, you know, and I mean, even better. I mean, and the teachers get paid very well here as well because they value that. I mean, you, you don't see homeless people here. They, there are there, but there's things in place to make sure that they're not sleeping on the street. And if you have a job and, you know, your income can't help, can't support your, your living, you know, in the apartments because everything is very expensive. The government helps support you. So, I mean, just those little things are like, we get money each month for our kids because we have kids and they have needs. And with our salary, with the taxes that we pay, we, we get money back for that, you know? And I can't say that my life would be as easy if I lived in Chicago or anywhere else in the States, because I got, four months off for maternity leave. And I got a hundred percent of my, my, my paycheck. I mean, yeah. I don't know anyone who, who was able to have that in the States, you know, and my, my job, my company was so supportive of me having my child and being on maternity leave and coming and welcome me back to work. Like it just, I don't think I could have had that working in the States. So, I mean, it's, it's, I really do appreciate just those little things, you know, that you take for granted, or maybe you, you don't even know the difference. So it's, it's taken me a while, but I really, really like living here. I really yeah, do. I, I don't know if I would call those little things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's like major quality of life stuff. Like if you have a child yeah. and you're mm-hmm. the, like the company I work at, at Glitch, I mean, we have maternity leave i think we have paternity leave as well Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. our benefits tend to be pretty good but they're also way outside of the norm exactly u.s Mm -hmm. tech companies but but like that sort of thing where the company values you 
not just as an employee, but as a human being right. in this, like in the country that you're in is super important. I mean, those things you're mentioning about maternity leave and getting your salary and even mm-hmm. salaries comparatively in other industries, I could see how that would be attractive to people wanting to move there, wanting mm-hmm. a change from, I mean, I, I don't want to make this super political, but like, you know, we know who the current U.S. president is and how that's changed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how that's changed the perception of the U.S. worldwide and and even of Americans to that effect. Uh, have you found that since you've been over there and since what's happened over here, things have been different in a way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like I will just say that you never know who who supports who. So you have to be kind of cautious on, on how you talk about things. Like if they want to say, Oh, Trump is an idiot. Okay, fine. I agree with you. Like, (laughs) you know, what were you guys thinking with him as a president? Like, Oh, I agree with you, but like, I'm not going to bring that up. One, I just don't want to talk about it. It's really annoying. It's extremely embarrassing that this has happened, but it's the reality. My parents are like, you know, same, you know, type of president, different decade, you know, so it's not like they haven't Mm -hmm. been through something like this before. But I just think you may be surprised of even if it is Europe, like there's a, a, you know, far right movement happening here. Yeah. And as well in in Switzerland, I was very surprised. I mean, I had my daughter, I finally went out to have drinks with a friend for her birthday. And I'm sitting in, you know, talking with two guys, they're talking to me and this guy just start blurts out, oh my God, and you guys, uh, you know, elected Trump or or, no, this was before he was getting elected. And I was like, he's not going to get elected. There's no way. And then the other guy who was Swiss would say, why not? He's the greatest person ever. I mean, you guys deserve someone like that because he's Mm going to get rid of all the immigrants and, you know, we have our own immigrant problem here. And I'm just like, wait, what? I just cannot believe that. And he just went on and on, you know, all the rappers want to be like him. I'm like, who says this? Like, you have no, I mean, <laughs> it's like he's repeating verbatim, like his talking points from Fox News. Like, it's just like, really? Like, you think this and you're from here? Uh-huh. Like, you just never know. So I, I kind of I know who I can talk to about these things. And I just generally just. For me, it's in bad form to kind of bring it up around people that you don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's just how I, I look at it because I mean, I was just so that almost ruined my night. I mean, to actually speak to someone who was really for this guy, for this president. And yeah, yeah. So, well, it sounds like, you know, as you said, you know, with different countries, there's good and there's bad. I mean, certainly, I think people would look at the US and say the same thing with the rise of, you know, a lot of the far right stuff that's happening here, but it's not indicative of everyone in the entire country or even in different right. parts of the country, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. As a black woman though, do you feel complete there? No, because I don't have like, you know, my, like my tribe, like my people, yeah. like someone who has the same experiences as me, someone that I can, you know, like, man, I mean, it took me forever. I think until last year before I found a hairstylist who was from St. Lucia. And she, like, I give her a hug every time I leave. I'm like, you don't know. This is why I want to stay here because you could do my hair. I mean, I went through so many different salons. I mean, all African and they were all great, but she could do my hair and she was just so just a wonderful person. 
I mean, that's what I need for, you know, like not just my hair, but just in general, a person that knows my experience and the history and that we can kind of go back and forth and like, oh, look at what they're doing here. And did you see this on the shade room? And, you know, stuff like that. Like, I miss that. I mean, I have my friends in the States, but they have kids and it's been like a, a year since we've talked. So it's not like I can just call them up and like, hey, girl, you want to talk about what's going on in the world of celebrities? <laughs> so no, I don't I don't really have that. And it's, it's a bit hard. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm here and I, I can't think about that right now because there's so many other wonderful things happening. But I mean, hopefully I'll meet I'll go out and I'll meet more people that that I can relate to and and have these discussions with or just have like a a talk with but you know it's it's few and far between but yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well I didn't mean to I didn't mean to like bring the whole (laughs) (laughs) conversation down no no. No, not at all no I mean it's just the reality when you move abroad you know you lose friends you lose relationships and I mean I thought about that before I made my decision I mean I I really was like, okay, well, I'm going to be here because I know my husband, he doesn't like the States, so he doesn't want to live there. I respect that. I'm fine with staying here, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to see my parents grow old. You know, every time I see them, they're going to look different or, yeah. you know, my, my kid, my sister with her, her children, I'm not going to really be there to, to be that aunt and see them grow up. So it's, it's those sacrifices that, yeah, I mean, it hurts, but I have to live my life. I have to, you know, do the things that I want to do. And as long as I have, you know, cash in the bank and I'm flexible, I, I can be there when I need to be there, but it's just the everyday thing that I, I, I won't have. I'm missing out on. Yeah. Okay. Let's, mm-hmm. let's kind of bring this back to design and career. I did one, of course, I was just super curious about the, what it was like living there and the design scene and everything there. But when you look back at your career as a designer, what do you wish you would have known when you started? I wish I'd known that I, that there's, I wish that, hmm, let me see that I could have maybe expanded. But I mean, when I was studying, it was just kind of like web design or graphic design and there at my university and there wasn't like a kind of a crossover or you could do both. It was just, you had to stick to either print or web and then that's it. But I, I wish I could have, you know, dabbled in a little bit more web and video and then maybe studied anthropology to kind of tie that in to see, you know, okay, th- this is, you know, you study, you, you do these studies on, on human beings just as they are like through the ages. And then you can apply that to how you, think about design as well. You know, I'm, I'm reading into these things now, but it would have been nice to have done that alongside of when I was studying. So like, I wish maybe I could have had the design base, but had it more, more things that could really help my design or just really, you know, just made it a little bit more wholesome in a way. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your path? They want to whether it's, I guess, following in the particular type of design that you're doing, or even just immigrating to another country, what mm-hmm. what advice would you give to someone? Well, we'll say on both. We'll we'll use both of those examples. I mean, I would tell someone to like really do it, and you know, kind of do your research and 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 do you know a pros and cons list, and then. If, you, if this is something you really want to do, like have a strategy. You know, when I came here, I was like, you know what? 
if I can't get a job, I'm going to teach English. So what do I got to do to get the get a degree or get a certificate so that I could teach English? And like, how am I going to live? And, you know, I have this amount of money saved up. How long is that going to last me until I have to figure something out? So I think if you can really, if this is what you want to do, you need to really think about it and plan so that you can make it happen. What advice has really stuck with you over the years? (laughs) Oh, my dad. He always said, especially working in like a professional environment, don't let anybody know what you're thinking. And that was a big thing for him. It's like, you know, if you hate your job, you hate your job. Nobody needs to know about it. You know, (laughs) like if something something isn't isn't right, like maybe you need to think about it first before you tell somebody there. So that that was a big thing. This interview is coming out at the end of the year. Of course, we're going to be transitioning into a new year very, very soon. What do you want to accomplish in 2019? Well, I want to be on a path to really restructure the current role that I'm in. So I I want to build in a strategy to expand on some of the things that I'm doing and incorporate that innovation into what I'm doing now so that it's like, a role for me in like maybe two or three years. And I guess kind of, you know, we'll, we'll forecast even further. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work would you like to be doing? I'd like to really focus in on innovating from a design standpoint within um, the flavored business. Um, I think there's definitely opportunity to do that. And I, I just have to kind of make it business relevant and, and, and put a plan in place on, on how, how, how to do that and how to show, you know, the executives that this is possible, that this makes sense. And that's what we need. So that's kind of where I would like to be at and actually working in that role that I've created myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Courtney, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Well, at the moment, my website is uh, currently under construction due to the fact that I had two kids in in three years. So um, (laughs) once that comes up, um, it will be under my LinkedIn page. So. All right. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. Well, Courtney Pinter, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I really like that you kind of really were able to like deeply share your experiences and your perspective of what it's like being an American designer in Switzerland. Um, the stuff about the flavor design, I just find to be utterly, utterly fascinating. I've been myself, I've been <laughs> looking into um, sound design a lot uh-huh, yes, uh, yes. and how sound influences so many other emotions and things. I, I think you were talking before when we, before we started recording, you were talking about podcasts. And so I listened mm-hmm. to this podcast called 20,000 Hertz. It's okay. about sound design. That's really good. Actually, if we're talking about flavor, there's a there's a podcast from America's Test Kitchen. It's uh-huh. called Proof. Um, it's really good. They're doing this thing right now about uh, <laughs> they're doing this this series right now about Jelly Belly jelly beans. Okay, yeah, like mm-hmm. like the different flavors. Like I, I don't know. This is before the the bean boozled thing. This is back when I think Harry Potter had this like jelly belly themed thing where like some of the jelly beans tasted like buttered popcorn or okay, yep. a booger mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. but then, but them talking about 
how they source those flavor compounds and marketing yeah. and all that stuff. I was like, that is that is so fascinating because it's something that I don't even consider as design. I feel like that's more of a like a like chemistry or cooking or something like that. But um I definitely like that it's uh from what you've said, I think it's important to be the example. And certainly mm-hmm. I think within your career and even within your life, you know, showing that there are other possibilities for yourself uh, is very important. And uh, thank you. Just thank you so much for just sharing your experiences <laughs> with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. This was great. Really appreciate you reaching out. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Courtney Pinter and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Courtney and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. Did you know that people spend over 3 billion minutes daily on Facebook? With an audience of over 2 billion users, that's pretty impressive. People use Facebook to share and connect with the people they care about, and their experience is the core of the Facebook Design team. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. You know, MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Mandre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show here in the U.S. and internationally. It also helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts there. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.